0: said we now open our bibles to the gospel according to the good dr luke in chapter eight we have arrived at chapter eight now you might be thinking "Ah, oh, i couldn't wait to get to chapter eight the parable of the sower right well you're thinking we're going to get to that today that starts in verse four we're not going to get past the third verse one through three because I want to pause for a moment and I want to take a look at what I think is very important in the church today, often missed, surely neglected, and we're going to see it in the model that Jesus gives to us for ministry. It's an incredible model. It's an overwhelming model. It's a counterintuitive model. It's a model that runs against the grain of human thought. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm going to pose a question for you in a moment after we read the passage. But the title is The Master's Ministry Model. That's the title. There's no event. There's no miracle. It's just basically a summation of his ministry. But I'm going to show you something deep. We will head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch because it applies to all of us. Not just the ministry of the pulpit, not just the ministry of the church, but your ministry in the lives of those that God has called you to. What is the focus of ministry? What is the primary focus of ministry for all of us? Parents baptizing their children, grandparents coming alongside. What is the primary focus for all ministry globally? We're going to see that today we're going to see it modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is powerful. Don't miss this. Ready? 8, 1 to 3. Hear now the word of God. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and inerrant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Your word is true. Sanctify us by your word this day. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Father, whether here in this holy sanctuary or out on the internet, wherever one might be, may your word go forth from this pulpit and make it a saving word. A word of salvation for the unsaved. A word of comfort for those in storm winds. And a word of rest for those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Before I give you the first four points, let me ask you this question. If you were going to redeem the world, what would be your strategy for ministry? What would it be? I want you to think through that. Because I'm going to show you that this strategy that the good Lord had in the life of his son, it boggles the mind. It is staggering to see the limitations and the restrictions that God placed on his son's ministry. And yet that ministry went all over the world and 2,000 years later, he is the single force that has had the greatest impact in the history of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Four points. Ready? Very briefly. Number one, his ministry. Number two, his message. Number three, here's where it really gets great. His method. And finally, number four, his means. Ready? We're going to launch out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was his ministry? Luke 8, 1. After this, remember what this was. right? He had been anointed. The sinful woman. Not only a sinner, right? We're all sinners by nature and we're all sinners by habit. She also was a sinner by profession. Okay. She anoints his feet. She wipes him with her hair. We unpack that. Beautiful picture of worship. ...of honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by this woman. So here, Luke says, after this. We're not exactly sure how long, but after this. Now Jesus traveled about. I want to pause for just a moment there. Liaduo is the Greek word for going about. And it might seem to suggest, just the English translation... Traveling about from one town and village to another, it might seem to suggest it was kind of a haphazard ministerial focus. Jesus just went here and he went there and he did what he did for those three and a half years and then went home to his father. But make no mistake, everywhere he went, every step he took, every person he met was by divine appointment. There was nothing that Jesus did that was outside of the will of the father. And that will structured every single moment of his life. How often Jesus would say, my hour has not come. The hours were counted. Every hour filled with purpose and meaning and significance. Power packed. He, he did everything according to the will of the Father. I want to make this clear. God determined his ministry geographically. Every place was his pulpit. He sometimes was on a floating pulpit. At other times, he was in the synagogues. At other times, hillsides, in the homes, walking by the wayside. Every place he went was his pulpit. But I want to show you, it's counterintuitive. If you were going to deliver a ministry to the world, would you restrict it geographically? It's only about 60 miles. Only traveled across the border twice. That's when they were on the run. So he's in Israel, a tiny little dot, a tiny little speck, an infinitesimal, minuscule spot on the map to redeem the world? Question Why did Jesus not travel to the center of political power? We would. Economic prosperity. We do. Higher learning, social influence, philosophical conversation, and religious establishment. Why doesn't Jesus travel to the center of those locations? Why? If you're looking to spread the message of, the, of, 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 of your ministry all over the world, you're rede- why don't you go to the power players, the influential people, the shakers in the mo- Why don't you go there? It doesn't make sense. doesn't add up. John 4, 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. And then put it together with this bookend. John 5, 30. Don't miss this. Jesus answered, by myself I can do nothing. I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. There are too many ministers and too many churches seeking to please themselves. By nature, think about it by nature. What is the goal by nature when you launch a ministry, right? Bigger, better, best, as far and as wide as you can possibly go. Why doesn't Jesus do that? He doesn't do that. He's locked into a tiny little geographical location, ordained by God every step that he takes, yet his mission is to save the world. It doesn't make sense. It's counter to the way that we think naturally. Yet God clearly restricts the geography of the Lord Jesus. Could he have taken a ship and crossed the Mediterranean? could have gone anywhere. Could have done what Paul did. But he did not. There's a principle here. God ordains the geography of our ministries. That's number one. That's the first point. But it gets deeper as we head out into deep water, shall we? Number two, what was his message? We hear all sorts of things from pulpits all over the world today. Remember, Jesus was a teacher and a preacher primarily. He wasn't a miracle worker. Yes, he he performed miracles, but that wasn't what he came to do. He didn't come to do that. He came to preach and teach the kingdom of God. He had, he had a message, and that's what he primarily was here to do. The miracles established who he was. The miracles made it clear that he was the anointed one, the one who had been promised from long ago. But what was his message? And then square that with what you hear from the pulpits. What what was his message? Number back to verse one again in, in, in eight, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. God not only determined his ministry geographically, he determined it theologically. He only had a single message. He preached the kingdom of God. He didn't Now, listen to this carefully. Were there teaching lessons on finance and teaching lessons on character and, and marriage and all, all of that? But all of that encompassed a primary focus of what? The kingdom of God. So now we have to ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? Okay, I want to be clear. What, what is it that he came and, and preached? Remember, Matthew 4, 17, it says, from this moment on, he began preaching the kingdom of God. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? The kingdom of God begins where? In you. And then the kingdom of God goes out from you and is everywhere. But let's talk about this and let's be very, very specific. What is the kingdom of God? It consists of these four things. Ready? Number one, it consists of a king. There's a real king. His name is Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Number two, it consists of a real kingdom. (laughs) Listen to me carefully. There's real territory. This isn't some mystical thing. There's real territory. What is the territory? Say everything. Why? Because we're going back to what we once had. What did we once have in the garden? That's why you can't start in chapter 3. Don't start in Genesis 3. Don't do that. Don't start in Genesis 3 with a sinner in need of a savior. Don't do that. Go back to the beginning. What what happened in the beginning? Adam and Eve were given what? Everything. What was the call for Adam and Eve? As, as, As creational caretakers, what was the call for Adam and Eve? The call was for Adam and Eve to expand the borders of their lives... To the boundaries of God's kingdom. And what were the boundaries? There were none. God owns it all. The entire universe. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the, there's, a real, there's a real territory. There's a real kingdom. It's all his. In the beginning God created the heavens and the... It's all his. okay. Unless you believe you crawled out of a bubbling cesspool of amino acids 14 billion years ago when you're crawling back in. And, and you, the first four words in your Bible is in the beginning goo... And many have that. Sadly, many have that. I just you realize, there's only two options. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, goo. You know that. Well, I never thought about it. That way, well, you should. You should, because that's what you're saying. I never thought about it. That way, well, you should. It's either God or goo. One or the other. So in the beginning, God creates everything. And everything is his kingdom. Everything. And he's the king. But that's not all. There's, there's, there's two more. There's kingdom citizens. Who are the first two? Adam and Eve. Kingdom citizens, cultural caretakers. Who are the kingdom citizens now? You. You. If you've been raised from death to life, you've been given the gift of repentance and faith, you have bowed your knee and your heart to Jesus. You are a citizen in the kingdom of God. But we're still not done. But most of the grace preachers are done right here. Done. I love the king. I love the kingdom because I love the rule and reign. I love all that, and I love being a citizen in the kingdom. But they're done there. Why are they done? They don't like the last portion of the kingdom. What is it? Kingdom law. Oh, they don't like that. They don't like that. Why? It's restrictive. It's restrictive. They say, we've been free. God set us free. Jesus came to set us free. Set the captives free, they say. Free. 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 They don't understand what they're saying. Do you know that there's two aspects to freedom? You're freed from something. What are you freed from? Sin, Satan, and death. But you're freed now to something. You're freed now to live for the glory of the King. The one who has saved you. They say it's too restrictive. You're out of your mind. What's the matter with you? The one who created all things knows how all people should live. So he gave us what? An owner's manual. Live like this and you'll find meaning and significance and purpose. Let the wheels come off the tracks and watch what happens. Freedom. The only true freedom is is at at the level of bondage that you are into Jesus. That you are committed to living a life that is pleasing to him. That's freedom. Steve Brown would say about the law, what's the law for? The law is like landmines. It tells you where the landmines are so you don't step on them as you're walking through life. But some of these grace people say there's no need for the law. The law drives you to the cross. Yes, it does that. Luther said it was a mirror. It shows you where you're dirty. You can't clean yourself, so you need someone. So it drives you to the cross. But what happens after the cross? How would you know how to live? You're still a sinner in need of a Savior. So there's a king in a real literal kingdom, and that kingdom's coming. It's already here, but mm, not yet. We've unpacked that before. You understand what that means. So it's coming completely. Twelve tribes will sit on the thrones and will rule. We'll rule and reign with Jesus. No, no celestial harp on some cloud. Real physical bodies in a real physical kingdom with a real physical king living real physical kingdom law. Perfectly. Why? Because it's been written on our hearts. How does a kingdom citizen want to live? In a way that's pleasing to the king. So what did Jesus preach? The kingdom of God. That's what he preached. We're preaching all sorts of crazy things from these pulpits all over the world. All sorts of things that don't mean a thing. You know, I'm never sure if it's a compliment or not, but I have people say this often, very, very often, visitors come by and the service is over and they go, whew, that's a lot of scripture you got up there. I'm never sure if it's a common. I'm never, never sure. I don't know. But I say to them, I don't have anything else for you. It's all I have. I've never had an original thought. Did you know that? <laughs> Not one. Not one. Who, who? That's all I have. That's the kingdom of God. God's called me to do one thing. Preach his word. So that's what we do. That's what we have. It's the only thing that. What's going to minister to you? Some of my stories, some little gospel-like message that's going to minister to you, that's going to, that's going to help you deal with the storm winds that you're in right now or the ones that are coming, that's going to help you? No, it's not. The only thing that's going to help you is what? The kingdom law, the word of God that you meditate on day and night, that you marinate your whole life in, that you love his law. Why? You know what that law is designed to do to bring you closer to the lawgiver. That's the key doesn't restrict you, it redeems you, and it raises you to new heights. What is the kingdom? Here it is. Be careful to understand it's a single word. What are we to preach every week? Salvation. There's the word. You remember when Jesus in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 19, how do we know the kingdom of God is salvation? Again, you've got to fit pieces together. You've got to read different parts of scripture. So you go to Matthew 19, 24, I believe. And Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. He says that. Then the disciples respond in 25, well then, who can be saved? So the connection to the kingdom of heaven is connected to salvation. So you understand that connection. So preaching the kingdom of heaven, and kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. There just was a time in the history of Israel where they wouldn't write the word God, Yahweh, the tetragrammatron. They wouldn't write that out. So they, they, they exchanged heaven for God. Same thing. If you say to someone today, heaven is smiling down upon you, you're, you're saying God is smiling. You understand? So the same thing. Not two different realms. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So it's the same thing. So, so we have this, this, this kingdom that has been given to us. We have this entire focus that has been given to us, which is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And this is how we're supposed to understand it. It is salvation. It is salvation that we preach. But there's two aspects to it. Ready? Number one, it is vertical. It's reconciliation that is vertical. And what's the second aspect? Horizontal. What's the first thing that has to take place in the salvation message? That your life gets better at home. It gets better at the office. It gets better with your children. No, 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 no. That you are reconciled to what? God. We have been living east of Eden. We were given the boot out of Eden. We are living outside of Eden. What is Eden representing? Just like the tabernacle, what in the temple, in the church, what does it represent? The presence of God. We're outside of the presence of God. Jesus comes, gives us the gift of repentance and faith, raises us from death to life, and he brings us back in to the presence of God. Now we are reconciled vertically. Then what? <clears throat> then horizontal. Then it spreads out to all the relationships. Now that will be imperfect. Yes, yes, of course it will. That will be imperfect because we're all sinners in need of a Savior, but that's the promise that's the message, that's the good news, salvation vertically and horizontally. You know what that you know why that's really important? It's not always gonna be like it is here. It's gonna get better when you get to the other side. Hopefully it's getting better as you go along, right? We're all growing up into Christ. Remember, maturity is is not an end in itself. Maturity is for ministry, it helps us minister better to each other. But the whole key is understanding what the point is. The point is to bring us back into the presence of the Almighty, and then that presence impacts everything that we do in life, every other relationship horizontally. Here it is in Scripture. Ready? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Very familiar passage. Most of you know it by heart. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God. It's not your works. It's not because you've earned it. Not because you give of your uh, time and talent and treasure, which we'll talk about in a moment. It's because it's God's gift to you. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So there it is. What's the message that should be preached from the pulpit? The message of reconciliation vertically and horizontally. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the kingdom of God. God is coming back to set the world right. To make it what it once was. Only better. There will be no opportunity for sin. It will be perfected. Sin will have been completely purged. The reign of God in his kingdom. A new heavens and a new earth. All of it perfected. The lion will lie down with the lamb. You can call that anything you want, but the nature of animals will change. Everything changes because God has ordained it to change. It will all be under the complete and utter reign and rule of the king, and we will rule with him. That's the promise in a literal kingdom, okay? That God was reconciling us and he has commissioned to us the message of reconciliation, committed to us. We are therefore, listen, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So some people say, perhaps, Jesus along the way changed his focus and he started to preach about some different things. And you hear a lot of goofy stuff out there about what Jesus was teaching. Did Jesus teach anything other than the kingdom of God? God ordained the scope of his ministry geographically. God ordained the scope of his ministry theologically. Watch here. Right after the resurrection, check this out. I'm not making this up. Acts 1-3. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Now he's resurrected. He's on the way home, back to the throne. And what does he speak? The kingdom of God. Oh, my word. Listen, here's the key. When we understand his message, we will begin to understand his mandate. Please don't miss this. Listen to me very carefully. I'm convinced the reason, the reason that we don't live out the mandate as we should because we don't understand the message, it's not preached enough. There's too many other soft gospel messages that are thrown out there, how to have your best life now. Let me tell you something. The best is coming. It is yet to come. It's coming on the other side. God has promised you that, that eternal rest. God has promised you perfect health. God has promised you, but that's not promised to you here and now. Some people try to twist that and change that and, 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 and muddy the waters. That's never been the promise. You've been promised difficulties. You've been promised storm wind. You've been promised to live a life like your king if you're his. But if we don't understand the message, we'll never begin to understand the mandate. And what's the mandate? What, what, is, what should be your number one goal in life? It's in the Bible. Matthew 6.33. Notice the Bible never tells you to seek the kingdom of God. It never tells you to seek it. It tells you to seek it first. That means before your marriage, before your business, before your next doctor's appointment, be, 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 before your relationship, before everything else that you do. What is, and what does is, what is Jesus finish that with? You know that's part of the, 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 big, the great sermon, right? Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. What does he finish with? If you do this, do this, seek first the kingdom of God, and then what? What? All these things, all that stuff that you think you need, all that will be added unto you. I'll give you everything you need. Not everything you want, but I'll give you everything you need. Got it? God determined his ministry geographically. He determined it theologically, and it seems awfully restrictive, doesn't it? Isn't that counterintuitive? Preach on a thousand topics to, 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 to do what? Cast the widest net. Preach to felt needs. Cast the widest net. Try to catch as many people as you can right where they are. Jesus says, no. I didn't come to do my will. I came to do his will. I've got a singular message. It's the kingdom of God. Deal with it. It's the only message that's going to change you. It's the only message that's going to minister to your heart. It's the only message that's going to change you from the inside out. The kingdom of God. So number three. Ready? And then we're done. His method. God determined it relationally and socially. Oh, boy. Don't, don't miss this, please. 8-2. The 12 were with him. Do you know how powerful that is? Do you know how much time we could spend on that? The rest of our time, forever and ever and ever. What, what's the picture of ministry? How, how did he do ministry? Did he cast this huge net to try to get thousands and thousands and thousands? And th- what did he do? He shrunk it down to 12, and he poured his life into 12, plus a few others. I'm going to show you a few others in a moment. Don't miss this. Let me tell you my greatest challenge when we went into ministry. We were in the world. So we were in the world, and we opened a business. What was the primary concern for us? Opening a business. I was a very ambitious young man. Very, left the fire service, opened a business. But what did we want to do? We wanted the biggest wanted to have the widest possible scope. I wanted to be the number one person development speaker in the world. This was the goal that we had, Kim and I, and this is how we tracked. And then we got saved. It was hard, it was hard to get free from that driving ambition. And I had good mentors along the way at different points in my life that would give me constant reminders. I remember teaching Sunday school class to just a handful of people. And that guy's here today, and this was his reminder to me each week, my brother, faithful over little. Just be faithful over little. Keep going deep and be faithful over little. And it was hard to get rid of this driving ambition for bigger and better and faster and wider. And then all of a sudden, God grabbed a hold of my heart before we launched this church. After looking at the Gospels and getting good Biblical godly counsel, I realized there was something that was more important than the breath. That was the depth of the ministry. It had nothing to do with breath. I was all about how big and how fast and how far and how. Check this out. This this is the ministry of the Lord. Concentration is the key to multiplication. He concentrated his efforts. Parents, listen to this carefully. Brothers and sisters, one of you, listen to this. The depth of the ministry mattered most to Jesus. He chose the 12, and he concentrated on those 12. He focused, listen, he focused on all those around him, but he drove the roots deep into the soil of the sanctified life in those 12. And it was his ministry focus, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to send those 12 out into the world, But he showed us what it means to invest our lives in a handful of people. And that's what God has called me, Kim, our family to do when we planted this church. And we, having been blessed by God, to be in a church that encourages us to go deep into the word. You know there's a plaque out in front of Coral Ridge. It was Dr. Kennedy's mantra. You know what that plaque says? Excellence in all things. Not the biggest, widest, and yet he had a global impact. See, he he focused on excellence in all things, and God saw the depth of his ministry, and God took it to the ends of the earth. We don't have to worry about going to the ends of the earth. God will handle all of that all by himself. What we have to focus on is the depth. Are we focused on the word of God? Are we teaching and preaching the word of God? Are we investing our lives into a handful of others. To send them. That's the job of the minister. To prepare you for ministry. And to send you out. So here was the key to ministry. This was his key. God controlled it. Shaped it. Restricted it. Geographically. Theologically. And relationally and socially. And Jesus focused on depth. Rather than breadth. There's the key. And that is contrary to every ministry strategy today, basically, that you hear. How far and how wide and how fast can we go? Whiteboard after whiteboard with sticky note after sticky note after sticky note. I could have been bogged down in that stuff the last six years. Programs and strategies and how are we going to get this out? No. My job is to focus on the Word of God. To teach the Word of God. To study the, and bring that to you. And by bringing that to you and concentrating those efforts there with you and the roots going deep, then you take that word out. And the word goes to the ends of the earth. That's the ministry model. That's the master's ministry model. And should be the model in every single church. I used to get caught up on breath. Not anymore. Only breath I'm caught up on now is my own. <sighs> That's it. Just keep me breathing, Lord. As long as I got breath, I'll keep doing what you call me to do. Depth. Drive the roots deep. And I thank you all for giving me that opportunity to be able to do that. And here we are back in seminary again. Studying to do what? To bring you the word of God. That's all I have. Notice this, notice this because don't miss this. Because in part of reversing the curse, watch what Jesus does. Remember, remember, remember after we opened verse, verse one. After this, he has that sinful woman touching him. Ooh, letting the hair down, wiping sinful woman. Luke eight two and three, and also not just the twelve, also some women. Ah, scandalous, scandalous! No rabbi traveled with women. It was unheard of. No rabbi taught women. It was unheard of. He's not only teaching; he's traveling with them, and not just women. Some of the worst. They've been cured of evil spirits. And diseases. Mary called Magdalene, don't be confused with it. it's just the, the town of Magdala. But she's got seven, de- the, she's possessed perfectly. How do I know? Seven. Don't just say she got demons, she got seven of them. Her, 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 her demonic possession is perfect, it's unbelievable. You can't miss that. you got to read and you got to understand what's going on. He's traveling with this woman. These are some really whacked women. Spirits and demons and all sorts are of coming out. And now they're with him and the disciples. This is scandalous. No good. But Jesus doesn't care why. He's the king. And he's come to reverse the curse. Women, oh, pay close attention to me. Listen. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Now, this woman comes from a place of high esteem. So, she's got both. Susanna, not much about her, and many others. These are, just, these are all women, all women. You've got to be more than the 12. These women, all of them, were helping to support diaconio, to serve. We get our English word deacon, to serve, to support the ministry. Out of their own means. Women. It, it and I want you to think about something. This is so scandalous. It's such a radical departure from what was normal. It is so counterintuitive that he's traveling with men and women and these kinds of women who had all of these difficulties And he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. What is he putting on display? The curse that is being reversed. What happened in the curse? Women, you lost your place. Where does the woman come from? Where does the woman come from? The side of man. She doesn't come from his head to lord it over him or from his feet to be a doormat, but from his side to be co-equal, laboring in the Lord. Now, the roles are different. How do we know roles are different right from the beginning? Adam names the animals and Eve. So we understand there's, a, there's an order to things, but God's a God of order. But forget that for a moment. What is Jesus establishing here with these women? That Every single person has value and worth. They're no different than the 12. He doesn't need any of them. But he calls them all in. He brings them all into ministry and he allows. Oh, we'll get to that at the end. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Don't let me get off. So let me get off. What is Jesus doing? He's reversing the curse. Women are getting their rightful place back. Remember, there's what we call an Edenic ideal. You know what the Edenic ideal is? Back to Eden, where Adam and Eve were, were co-laboring in the Lord. The ground was level for Adam and Eve. There was no tier system. And at the cross, the, the ground at the cross is level. There's no tier system. There's different roles Women and men play different roles, but there's no difference in value and in worth. They are equal in the eyes and sight of God. Do you see what he's doing? And he's doing it in front of the, the the most messed up group of men the world's ever seen. They just are messed up. They think they love God, but they don't. They don't care for the poor and the marginalized, and they have no use for women. You know what their morning prayer was? I thank thee, oh God, you didn't make me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. These guys were whacked. And Jesus is walking with them and ministering with them. Oh. He was training his replacements, both men and women, replacements. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. John 20, 21, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In your homes first, in your church first, in Jerusalem. Then where? In the rest of South Florida, in Judea. And then where? The state and the nation in Samaria. And then where? To the ends of the earth. All of you, men and women, every single, you don't need letters after your name, you don't need a seminary degree, you don't need a thing. All you need is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that actually has been given to you by God himself, is growing in your heart and has transformed you and changed you from the inside out. That love is what propels you to do what? Serve him and to serve others. And if you hear the sermon from the royal wedding, if you haven't, Google it. It's all about the love of God. It's about 15 minutes long. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Some of you heard it. It's amazing. The love of God in Christ Jesus. Acts 1 8, and then finally here, and then we close. Whoever claims, listen, everybody sitting here would be at, at least at some level claiming to be in Christ, right? You live in Him. Then you must live as Jesus did. You know what LLDL is? You know what WWJD is, yes? Right? So you put the bracelet on and it says what? What would Jesus do? Don't put that on until you put the other bracelet on. LLJL, live like Jesus lived. How are you going to ask a question, what would Jesus do if you're not willing to live like Jesus lived? It's kind of a crazy question. I remember the children coming home with those bracelets. I said, hold on here, hold on, hold on, sit down. Time to do some ministry. I love the WWJD, but you got to understand what that means. What would Jesus do? How in the world would you know if you're not willing to live like Jesus lived? Oh, well, this is an ornament. It's got to mean something. Are we willing to live like Jesus lived? Are we willing to pour our lives into the lives of others? Are we willing to do that for, for, for the expansion of the kingdom of God? Parents to your children? Grandparents, are we willing to do that? That's all I have. That's my call. I wanted to conquer the world at one point in time. I'm just happy now to have dominion over my computer at night. Right? And to be able to get up each day and to come to this building and come to church and to serve you. And to bring the word of God. I leave all that to God. Whatever he wants to do with us, he'll do. However big he wants, that's up to him. Don't make any difference to me at all anymore. No more. The depth of the ministry is all that matters. So how do we close? His his final point was what, what were his means? What were his means? You saw his ministry. You you, you saw his message. What are his his means? Take a look. You. Now we've gone to meddling. You. Now I'm going to show you how. Ready? Look at Psalm 50. I'm going to show you how. So now you're going to come up later, you're going to send me a text, oh, you went to meddling, you really got me hot under the collar, you got me hot, in the- good, good, get hot, let me tell you why, right, right? right what are his means? What, what are his means? Every animal of the forest is mine, thus saith the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills. So without trying to get real theological, what does that mean? It's all mine. Get we clear on that? So if you have a God, if you have a God who can... Send manna from heaven, bring water from the rock, and multiply five loaves and two fish to feed five thousand men only in, in the five thousand, and then women and children, which could mean fifteen to twenty thousand. If you have a God who can do that, what what what's he messing with us for? Why the twelve? Why these women? It does, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm going to show you something here <clears throat> that I want you to take with you. Luke 8, 3, one more time. Let this sink in deeply. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Pause. Listen to me very carefully the role that women, you women, have played in God's unfolding plan of redemption. Don't miss this. Who were, the first, who were the first missionaries to give to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? You just read it. Women. Who were the ones sitting at his feet? Women. Who were the ones at the foot of the cross? Women. Who were the first to find the tomb empty? Women. Women. Who were the first to see him alive women the curse has been reversed make no mistake they were helping to support out of their own means why I don't, I don't understand why he can take his taxes out of the mouth of a fish why why, why are you using their money why were these women supporting Jesus' ministry? Answer, not because they were needed, but because they were wanted. Jesus is proving your, listen to me right now, Jesus is proving your faith through your participation of your time, your talent, and your treasure. I didn't make that up. That's in the book. You decide what you give to him of your time and your talent and your treasure, but he's proving, he's proving your faith to him. Why? Does Jesus need your time? Say no. Does Jesus need your talent? Say no. Does Jesus need your treasure? Say no. Does Jesus want it? Say yes. Do you realize the power in understanding the difference between those two statements? That you're not needed, but you're wanted? He desires you. He's inviting you into something that's bigger than your life. Something that will live on long after you're gone from this world. He's inviting you into this. Do you understand what that means? You'd understand it if you ever had an experience like this. Back in the day, and I always say this to the children and they remind me, well, we're not back in the day, dad. But back in the day in middle school, I'll never remember. I was very, very out of shape. Little boy, My dad always gave me the crew cut, and I had a hard time in middle school. And this was my experience. I, I, I didn't like PE. That changed in high school, but in middle school it was really hard. And this is my experience in PE. You know how they line up all the guys, right? And then they call out the two best athletes, and then they pick the team. And you're standing in that line, and you're watching that line dwindle, and you're looking to your left and looking to your right. And then they get to the end and you hear this. Well, I guess I'll have to take bowling. Jesus didn't say that to me. He didn't say, I guess I'll have to take bowling He said, I want him. I want her. I want him. I want you. I got You're on my team. I, I got you. I'm dying for you and you and you and you. You're mine. I don't need you. I want you. That's the gospel. That's the power of the word of God. That's the preaching of the kingdom of God. Not needed, but wanted. The one thing every heart needs more than anything else, to be wanted and to be loved. And no matter how. How life has treated you. You have that from Christ. That's what changes us from the inside out to know how loved we are. And when we mess it up, to know that we're completely forgiven. That's the gospel. If you've never heard it, you heard it today. You're you're broken beyond repair, you can't save yourself, you come to Christ outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, and Jesus has come. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Transfer your trust to Christ, and salvation is yours this day. Pray with me right now. Father, right now, for anybody who has never surrendered to Jesus, may they pray these words right now. Every believer in this room, pray these words with me. For anyone in this room or by way of the internet who has never, ever, ever prayed a sinner's prayer and surrendered control to Christ Jesus, I am broken. I cannot save myself. I confess that I am beyond repair. Save you, Jesus Christ. I heard the truth of the gospel today. I heard that I am not needed. But you want me. That you chose me. That you picked me to be on your team. Oh God, that truth overwhelms me. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And right now, know this truth. That nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. May that truth eternally set you free. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Please stand and continue to worship with us.